welcome back, scholars. This is Fuck University. I am your headmaster, Benjamin LaRiviere. Your headmistress, Sapphire, is not here this evening because she is, frankly, uh, mobbed with other work. Um, and so she has asked if I would do an episode focusing on a subject she has been uh, very interested in me discussing in uh, other places, and I thought it would be cool to take the subject here to you. So today we're going to be talking about comic books. Specifically, we're going to be discussing LGBT characters in comic books. Now, I want to clarify before we get rolling into it uh, that we're going to lay some parameters down regarding what kind of characters we're talking about. Because comic books, like all media, have a tendency to, um, let's say, throw out um, queer culture as a way of gaining a bit of sensationalism. So we will be only focusing on characters who lead stories. Um, this is your main characters or your your primary characters, um, and it will be focusing specifically on instances where being an LGB character is a main part of their identity. Um, so if you've got an episode, if you are looking for that one episode or that one issue of Catwoman where she kisses another woman, or that one episode, that one episode, that one issue of whatever where it is hinted that they have feelings for another female character, or, or sorry, another character of the same gender. Um, we're not really going to focus on those, rather ones where it is a major part of their identity and um, a lot of times of their story. Uh, we're also not going to focus on supporting characters who may fulfill a, the token role of a queer character in a single storyline or those throwaway bit players who are LGBT but are only brought in for a single issue just for the sake of sensationalism. So tonight we're going to focus on um, the more prevalent, the more uh, main title characters. Um, so I think we'll get started. Um, so I was, I thought I was going to do this episode off the top of my dome, and while I feel I could have, it wouldn't have really been as thorough so I did some research um, and granted in the research I found most of the characters I found were Marvel and DC Comics specific because frankly they're the most famous ones and um, I'm going to assume because of our genre and our subject and our outlets that most of our characters or most of our listeners aren't super comic savvy so if you are interested in taking a peek at some superheroes that are our uh, LGBT. This will give you a good intro, and if we get a lot of feedback and people like this one but want something that's more niche, niche, I will happily uh, dive deeper and pull out some lesser-known characters. Um, so, starting in DC Comics, the one that most people know about, and we'll start with her, is uh, Kate Kane. For those of you unfamiliar with Kate Kane, this is Batwoman, more recently made famous because Ruby Rose played her on the CW in a very short-lived uh, series. But what made Batwoman interesting is she was one of the very first superheroes to have um, a main title, in, or she was maybe not the first, but one of the biggest superheroes to have uh, a main title of her own name. She was the title character of Batwoman, and from the very beginning, uh, it was made. they made it clear that she was a lesbian, and that being a lesbian was a major part of her identity. There was no bullshit um, fiddle-faddling back and forth between like male ca main characters and then like having her dip into an interest in a woman for an issue or two and then going back to a main male love interest. They... Um, when she was introduced, she by her by the creators, it they stuck with it. Um, they felt it was important. It was an important part of her identity, um, and they didn't uh, waffle on it. It was kept as her one of her main concepts. And by the way, if you don't know Batwoman, Batwoman is fantastic, especially uh, her main run in DC Comics, uh, starting with. Um, Batwoman Elegy is, I believe, where she got her, where kind of like she got her relaunch start. Um, it was written by uh, Greg Rucka and I think uh, Dave 
Stewart, or sorry, it was written by Greg Rucka and then Dave Stewart. David Stewart did the colors, and J.H. Williams III did the pencils, did the artwork. Um, it's first off, it's gorgeous, and I strongly recommend you read it because it's fantastic and it's the beautiful art. But also, like Batwoman is just she's a absolute badass without um, requiring. Like she came kind of like she was introduced like in the shadow of a larger superhero, obviously Batman, but she isn't um she isn't like some sidekick who has to like crawl her way up to a main title. No offense to Captain Marvel. We love her and she's fantastic, but she spent years as a sidekick um to a, as Ms. Marvel to a real Captain Marvel before she took the title. Um Batwoman came on the scene already as her own character. She showed up in Gotham, knew who Batman was, knew that her sexual identity was the reason she couldn't pursue her career in the military and that she was going to channel that rage into somewhere where she could fight for good. And so she became a superhero just right off the bat. And right off the bat, she is shown like holding her own and just being an utter badass. Y'all, if you want um, just an utterly bitchin' superhero, uh, especially a bit utterly, like, just a strong, like, active, action-driven superhero who has, who can hold her own title, like, seriously, check out Batwoman. She is just great. I'm not even trying to, like, I'm, I'm stuttering a little because, like, I'm trying to find the, the most accurate words, um... But she is intelligent and strong and tough. And honestly, like, I'm not a big fan of the CW shows because they have a tendency to, they have a type and I don't feel like it's very, I don't feel like it's the most true to how these characters should be portrayed. But honestly, like, if it had been, like, if someone just told me, it just announced a Batwoman movie, um, I would be first person in fucking line, because that is an amazing character. And you should all, especially if you're looking for some media that really shows a strong, powerful character who's LGBT, um, seriously, check out Batwoman. Again, that one's Batwoman Elegy, if you really want to start with, like, the strong flagship one. Um, go there. But I want to... Uh, I honestly could talk about Batwoman forever, but uh, I want to try to keep this rolling. And so um, we're going to move on to another famous female superhero that gets an interesting... How would you say? She's... Her sexuality is discussed in very strange ways because she is one of the biggest superheroes at DC Comics. And that would be Wonder Woman. S generally speaking, and and broadly uh, agreed upon, is that all of the Amazons from Themyscira. If you don't know Themyscira, I'm sorry. I'm will try to address this podcast um, in a more uh, in a in a fashion that does not assume that you know anything about comic books. But uh, specifically, Wonder Woman is. If you haven't seen the movie or read any of the comics, is fr an immortal Amazon warrior from the island of Themyscira and it is broadly agreed upon by most writers in comics that uh, the all the Amazons of Themyscira are bisexual at least or lesbians if you go full to the end of, end of the spectrum which makes sense for a long time this wasn't really acknowledged or referenced but Themyscira is, was an island that for you know, a thousand years or longer, um, depending on who's writing it, was an island where only women existed and they were immortal women and very few writers are pretending like they were women without needs. So if you're going to build a relationship, sexual or otherwise, and you're on an island that is only women, you're going to build a relationship with other women. This went on. For, this went on unaddressed for a long time because LGBT themes in comics are—they're a tricky subject to discuss. They're like fucking preachy Bible thumpers, and I don't throw that term around lightly. You have to be a complete asshole for me to call you that. Um, but people who wanted to impose their own 
um, extraordinarily conservative morals on the comic book industry and on many media, like just look at the McCarthy era, but they would come down so hard. Like the comics code authority was a stamp that comics had to have to get published. And it basically declared that yes, these funny pages while, while colorful and extravagant will not impose any immoral subjects on your children, you know, immoral subjects like, I don't know, being gay or, at a certain point, like, like you know, ex- ex- accepting minorities as also humans. The Comic Code Authority is a train wreck, and if you really want to look into some uh, a history of censorship, you should seriously research it. But because of this, a lot of times, like, common sense shit would get completely ignored, like an island full of women for thousands of years is going to be full of lesbians. By the time it was finally starting to get addressed, um, even without being said, it was pretty much uh, like spoken and accepted. But like then it started to get weird because people would people started thinking that they had to treat it like rather than just accepting it as fact, they would try to like put weird focuses on it. Like there's a specific conversation, and you'll forgive me for not having the actual issue numbers written up, but um, I've read so much of this stuff over the years that like it's all just mostly in my head. Um, there's an issue from for around the 90s when comics were getting real popular and to the point where like almost so much got published that didn't need to. There's an instance where um, the, uh, someone is questioning Diana, Wonder Woman, about her life on Themyscira, and she finds it very easy to admit that uh, they all the women were bisexual, or at the very least that she is, and that like she is like the other women on her island, so it's implied that they're all bisexual. How this is possible when there are no men on the island, I mean, I get that's up for debate. But specifically, uh, they had the conversation at least. Um, but uh, but the conversation do you, like slowly transitions into uh, this avoidance where Wonder Woman won't admit that they masturbate or that she masturbates so like specifically like refuses to address it in a very weird and awkward scene which in retrospect like you look at it and you're like yeah that was probably a matter of censorship but at the same time it feels weird to address it at all by the writers like it's almost like bisexuality is fine but it comes back into this idea of like shaming women for accepting their sexuality it's it's a weird discussion to have um and these sorts of things get like thrown in comic books because because comic books should be and often try to be like the good writers tr- often use comic books as an under uh, not underappreciated but maybe un- not it's a medium not as popular as comic books it's not as popular as cinema so people a lot of times writers try to use comic books as more of a niche medium to forward uh themes of uh, progressive themes like LGBTQ like um, minority heroes like anyone this is slightly derailing but we talked about it a little bit I've mentioned it once or twice before on the show is like Kamala Khan is a thir- is like a, a 13 14 year old Muslim girl who be- lives in New York and becomes a superhero and that sort of thing would be harder to push in mainstream Hollywood, but comic books can go there. And so people have been trying to get in there and, and you know, uh, show characters that you can't get away with in mainstream media because of censorship, because corporate media, because, you know, corporate entities believe that audiences only want to see, you know, straight white dudes as action heroes. It becomes a problem. So when people, so a lot of times people try to push that boundary, and sometimes it's great. Kate Kane, Batwoman, who we discussed earlier, is a fantastic instance of that. That's a, that's an example of a writer taking control of a storyline and a subject matter and using it to normalize, but also center the focus on an LGBTQ character. Wonder Woman. A lot of people like to tout that, but it doesn't. It doesn't really come across as strong because it's not a matter of choice 
or not even a matter of choice, but it's not a matter of like accepting your identity in a world. It's like it's if you're on an island full of women for thousands of years, like what other options are there? Like, of course, they're all lesbians. That's just a matter or at least bisexual. But that's all just a matter of accepting common sense rather than like there's never there. There aren't specific stories that are written that focus on Wonder Woman's relationships with other women. Not not for any long term rather than maybe like a one off issue here or there that kind of like briefly glances at it, but doesn't really spend any focus on the relationship. There's. And there are others. There are other Amazons from the mascara that get that identity and and still kind of like get it, kind of like thrown happenstance. Like Nubia, um, a lot of art came out around the time of of Wonder Woman and the now the new movie coming out, 19, Wonder Woman, nineteen eighty four. Um, a lot of art came out featuring a black Wonder Woman, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, that's cool fan art," but no, there is an actual black Wonder Woman named Nubia, um, and Nubia. Like like all the Amazons, again, it gets that identity. There's another one who comes um, in and out of the stories named Mala, and again, like she gets uh, cast under the bisexual Amazon. Uh, I was gonna say flag, but what I meant was umbrella. Um, that they all are that, and which is just more a matter of just accepting fact than actually. But they don't actually write storylines that focus on their relationships. Um, and if you really want to see where people are just like writing without much focus to where it's going, there is like one very kind of out of left field com like panel in an in an issue from the eighties, might have been the early nineties, where um, a discussion between Diana and her Wonder Woman and her mother implies strongly and randomly that Wonder Woman is trans. Which feels very strange because it's never addressed one way or another. Like, there's no reason to believe she would be. Um, especially for a character who has had sex with lots of characters through over time. I mean, she's had relationships with lots of characters. Obviously, the sex isn't shown in, in DC Comics. But um, a lot of these times, like, 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 she's had relationships. And the suggestion that she has been trans since the 1960s or earlier and no one has ever addressed it feels like you're kind of coming out of left field just to it doesn't feel genuine it doesn't feel like hey let's start having a discussion about trans superheroes otherwise you would just create a trans superhero instead it seems kind of like an almost like weirdly uh, random thing for the sake of sensationalism and trying to gain headlines which Honestly, it failed miserably as far as I've seen because it only gets referenced in uh, like deep cut, uh, honestly, like top 10 lists of instances of queer things in cinema or in comics or a hundred or like 10 things you didn't know about Wonder Woman. And then, like, it never, it never actually makes it into the mainstream because it, it's another one of the instances where people are just like throw it out there to gain sensationalism. And normally, like, that sort of thing, I'm leaving off this list, but uh, because it is, rather than a traditional storyline, it is this discussion, or this, this, like, common sense acceptance that the Amazons are bisexual or lesbian, that um, I'm bringing them into the discussion. Um, there are other more deliberate instances of characters who are bisexual, who maybe it's not like they're like Batwoman is a big thing where it's like it's a major part of her identity and on and honestly it's one of the reasons she becomes a superhero um but there are other characters where they're les where their um their queerness their gay les lesbian lifestyles or their bisexuality doesn't have to take the spotlight in their story but it still becomes relevant and one of the most interesting ones about that is uh John Constantine um People outside of comics are familiar with John Constantine from the Keanu Reeves movie or the short-lived CW show. Um, and honestly, uh, there wasn't a whole lot of like reference to this in general. I mean, Constantine didn't have a whole lot of relationships, but the few that he did were with women. And when um, Brian Azzarello 
took it over in, oh, God, I'm not good with dates because I read it all in one go, but I'm pretty sure it was in the early 2000s, judging by the art style. Um, John Constantine is a is a British character, oftentimes written by British writers, and mo and it, it's like a lot of like the dialogue, a lot of the the kind of like the culture surrounding it. Um, there's a lot of discussions about honestly, and and um, it all very feels very British. And honestly, in um, earlier um, in earlier sessions uh, sessions, I'm sorry, uh, in earlier issues, um, like especially in the 80s, in the 90s, when uh, there was a, a huge, I mean, America wasn't doing any better, but Britain had a real problem and has had a, a real problematic history with um, its abuse of uh, gay men in particular. Um, I mean, God's sakes, just like anyone who's seen Imitation Game or has read the history of Alan Turing knows that he was a hero who saved their country. I mean, honestly, he probably saved ours too, guys, if you really look at the long-term effects. But was um, horrifically tortured by his country um, just for his, his his sexuality and Britain's handling of gay men and it's and the, its abuse of them is addressed in earlier uh, um, arcs of the Hellblazer the John Constantine series Brian Azzarello comes over and picks it up and brings Constantine to America um, in his run. And it's it's a wonderful take uh, of it's a wonderful take on the American short story format and the way that like we handle like these like small serialized adventures, these urban legends. But it all leads up to an interesting place Um there are stories where John Constantine is shown as an ally, but when he comes to America and he ends up uh, in a relationship with a, with a criminal mobster, and it's kind of tricky to get into details without spoiling it, and I strongly recommend anyone who really wants to get in there. The Hellblazer series is very good even Garth Ennis's run and anyone who knows me knows that I despise Garth Ennis's writing but his run on Hellblazer is very strong um, even if it is just awful things happening to awful people um, but when Brian Azzarello takes it over um, he handles an interesting relationship where uh, the main villain of the arc knows about Constantine but has never met him and when Constantine meets him our hero become like becomes the villain's lover which is kind of strange in itself and not super clear as to where it's going and that's one of the things that's great about Brian Ezrell's writing on this is that he doesn't at no point during his run does he leave things cut and dry for you. It's, there's a lot of mystery and a lot of like this like weird feeling of gray areas and not having all the information and what's right and what's wrong. But at the same like, but to add, sorry, it's it's uh, it's an interesting subject to go over because not only is our hero uh, suddenly kind of suddenly revealed to be bisexual, although it's you know not been really like fought too hard against in previous uh, arcs more specifically he is very clearly like the submissive in the relationship or the bottom to use like 2020 slang but um it's which is fascinating for a character who is so often seen to be like the one in control and if you know a lot about bdsm and um dominant submissive culture a lot you do know that a lot of times being the submissive in a relationship is very appealing to people who are very dominant in their per in their real in their you know like re I say real lives but I mean like they're you know in their business lives in their in their lives outside the bedroom and it's it is a fascinating uh, examination of a relationship between two men and I really strongly suggest it because it it is remarkable that a character who has been portrayed as straight or at least you know, visibly straight hasn't. We haven't seen any um, non-heterosexual behavior out of him 
suddenly is portrayed as bisexual and it doesn't feel weird. It doesn't feel thrown out there for no good reason. Um, it's a very strong take on it. I was looking through some other stuff and there's a couple others that are more well known. Um, Harley Quinn is a very popular one. Um, Harley Quinn is tricky because a lot of people, um, for those who don't know who Harley Quinn is, I will give you a quick um, summary. Though, to be fair, Margot Robbie has made it so most of us know who Harley Quinn is, and frankly, um, that's honestly a blessing because her performance is gold, even if the movies that she's in are less than perfect. Though, to be fair, I really enjoyed Birds of Prey. Um, if you don't know, for, but if you for somehow have missed that, um, Harley Quinn, most people know who the Joker is, and I feel safe saying, you know, Batman's arch nemesis, the Joker. Pretty well known. Most people know who he is. Um, in the 90s, he was given a sidekick uh, named Harley Quinn, who evolved very quickly into his sidekick slash girlfriend, Harley Quinn. Um, and she gets, unfortunately... Um, Unfortunately, because they, the Joker and Harley Quinn are so charismatic, a lot of people idealize this relationship. And it is bad that they do. Uh, it is, uh, and that seems like a very simple way to say it, but it's, it is a horrifyingly abusive relationship. And honestly, anyone who gets anywhere near the Joker is going to be horribly abused. But because the because it is it is dolled up and glamorized in this idea of a relationship um people it becomes very appealing to people who live outside the normal spectrum um and again um I, i'm trying to focus on comic books more than the shows and the movies but kudos to margot robbie who has like, i've seen interviews with her where she addresses that their relationship is super abusive like, she does a wonderful job portraying this character, but at no point does she pretend like their relationship is healthy. She's in Suicide Squad, where she is portrayed live action. She is, um, that it is very clearly, very clear to people who can recognize it that it's an abusive relationship. And if you can't recognize that, I mean, then it's healthy. It's good. It would be good to have discussions with other people. I see a lot of, um, a lot of people discuss that. Or, or I saw one particular post that was really well played where it put it that the Joker isn't Harley Quinn's love interest. He's her origin story because he is what causes her to become, to go from a well-respected psychotherapist to Harley Quinn, this like clown queen of crime. Yeah. And she's fantastic. She's charismatic. She's wonderful. And once she stops being the villain sidekick and comes into her own, honestly, it's better as a whole for the character and the world in which she embodies to give to separate her from her abuser it's she becomes a more interesting character though you though you you mourn the dynamic as a viewer as a reader when it first happened but the longer it has gone on the more it has become appreciated that she is a much more interesting character on her own because they're able to flesh her out once they take her away from her abuser, the Joker. The reason uh, this gets, I'm bringing this up in this podcast is because when she was first created in the Batman animated series in the nineties, um, early two thousands, I think it was nineties. I think it was like 90. Yeah. It was like 96 or so when it first started. Um, Harley Quinn was given a cellmate in prison, and her cellmate was famed supervillain Poison Ivy. Um, again, because it's easy for people who don't really know comics for me to reference uh, the movies, Uma Thurman in Batman and Robin. And n again, no... Uh, I mean no disrespect to Uma Thurman, but you should really study the character outside of that movie because she is a very well-developed um, doctor, genius, and what we're given in that movie is does not do her justice. I will put it lightly. Um, but in the early 90s, uh, in the TV show, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn are given, are put in a cell together, and they become best gal pals 
they go out and they commit crimes together, especially in a particularly memorable uh, Christmas special. And that relationship between the two gals was something that fans sunk their teeth into, and my god, did we hold on to it for, what is it, 2020? So for 24, 25 years. Um, until finally, in the last five years or so, that relationship that if you've gone anywhere near a fan art site or a, or any type of comic book art site developed by fans, all you will see is very romantic and sometimes very sexual art between Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn. Well, the, the writers at DC Comics finally caught on to that, and it is now established canon that Harley Quinn and Poison Ivy are a in a lesbian relationship. Or, um, in reference to our previous episode, we'll say that they are in a uh, intimate relationship, and whether or not either of them is lesbian is probably unfair to say, given that they're most likely both bisexual. And after our last episode, I would hate to... Uh, discount or um yeah discount either of their bisexualities by calling them lesbian uh want to keep everyone's queer identities as accurate as possible um that has also uh seeped into other media besides the comics um tv shows and video games and whatnot so with any luck by the time our next portrayal of margot robbie comes around as harley quinn Maybe we'll get a Poison Ivy. I think I speak for all comic book nerds when I say that would be really fucking cool. Um, I tend to wax on for a long time in these, and I'm trying to keep an eye on the clock without Sapphire here to keep me on task. So I will try to run through a couple more real quick for DC Comics. Um, sometimes things get rewritten. A lot of times in comics, things get rewritten, especially at DC Comics. Uh, they have a fan. They have. A, they are very big fans of rewriting history to suit whatever current plot they want to play with, which tends to cause things to get messy if you're looking for consistent storylines over the decades. Um, there is, however, one instance where this worked in our favor, and that is the superhero Alan Scott. There is a famous superhero named the Green Lantern. Many of us know the Green Lantern for different reasons. Some of us grew up on the animated DC uh, Justice League show, in which case Jon Stewart was introduced to us as the Green Lantern and also one of our very first black superheroes alongside Storm from the X-Men growing up. That was super good. That was super exciting. He was a fantastic character. We, a lot of us, really fell in love with that character. Some people know the Green Lantern only as the Ryan Reynolds movie that is regarded by many, including Ryan Reynolds, as something we wish we could take back. And we'll put it that way to put it nicely. Um, however, the very first Green Lantern, long, long, long time ago was named Alan Scott. This was uh, not the Jon Stewart from the 90s cartoon show or uh, the Hal Jordan portrayed by Ryan Reynolds. This was the very first Green Lantern, who back then was pretty much your typical superhero. Like a lot of back then, there wasn't a whole lot of inventiveness in the, oh, I'm not the best on my dates with DC Comics, but I'm going to say I think it was in the 40s? This was back before people were even really spending a lot of time learning how to draw to do comic books. It was before it was considered really an art form. And there were good art. There were good people involved. Um, but it hadn't quite ex uh, um, breached the level of respectability even in, within its own creators necessarily that it has today. Um, or the level of um, quality it is held to in order to get published. But Alan Scott was one of the very first ones, and before he was a super interesting character, he was the Green Lantern. And when DC Comics decided to rewrite their characters, as they have so many times, but when they finally did in 2005, I believe it was, I'm going to double check this for those of you who may want to do the research, it was... Uh, in the multiverse concept in the 2000s, I think. Uh, 
You know what? I'm pretty sure I can hit this if I look hard enough. I can't. Um, it just is early 2000s, which means it could be anywhere. For those looking it up, anywhere from the brightest day timeline to the final crisis timeline to the one year later timeline, there's a DC does a lot of timelines and it's not super clean. Regardless, um, what you need to know is that when they reinvented Alan Scott, they brought him back as uh, a couple new things. Relative, uh, brand new or newly young, he had been aging dramatically since he'd been around since the 40s. Um, he was in charge of a large uh, mega company, and specifically, he had been brought back as a gay man, and it has been kept in his story since then, as far as I'm aware. Which is um, one instance of how would I phrase this? Comic books like to, again, like I said, they like to throw in uh, alternative lifestyles just to gain some flashy attention, but it's nice when they rewrite something like that and they keep it. So, in this specific instance, points to DC Comics. Alan Scott, a, spe a character who's been around that long, it's nice to have someone with history who characters can look back on, and in spite of the previous storylines, he's got a pedigree. It's not someone they just thrown out there. So, Nice to see that. Points for reinventing someone as something actually more interesting than what they've done before. Uh, I'm almost done with the characters in DC Comics, and but I wanted to specify um, some interesting, a couple more interesting ones. One of which is um, I mentioned Batwoman from before, obviously at the very beginning when I was very excited about her, but there is a, a lesser-known character who doesn't, who is not a superhero. But she is a, a um, staple of Gotham City. She is one of the main uh, characters, one of the main police officers from the uh, from the Batman universe, and specifically her that is Renee Montoya. Those of you who saw Birds of Prey, that's uh, Rosie Perez's character, which is um, uh, interestingly different from the one in the comics. Normally, she's portrayed as a kind of like young, attractive Latina. Not that Rosie Perez isn't attractive, but she is, you know, older than most uh, teen heartthrobs. That being said, uh, she does a great job. You could, again, y'all should all watch Birds of Prey. It's actually quite good. But, uh, but Renee Montoya was seen as this kind of like um, romantic interest who got thrown around from male character to male character to male character. And when Batwoman came on the scene, they were actually allowed to develop a real relationship and it became again part of their story part of that that became an ongoing thing um which was nice to see that this character who kind of got bounced around and it's a shame but it's kind of like metaphorical for society and how a lot of women are treated this woman who got bounced around as someone not uh worth much more interest other than kind of like a plot focus or you know, a MacGuffin for male characters, when she finally was brought in as the romantic interest for a female character, started to get fleshed out and get a lot more story time, got a lot more presence. It's good to see that sometimes. Um, or a lot, I mean, it's good to see it, obviously, when, you know, female characters actually get, you know, to maintain agency in their own stories. But it's good to see when even whether it's a sexual relationship or or otherwise uh, to give women the focus that they so rightfully deserve especially in such a male-oriented comic i wanted specifically to address these two at the very end of the dc comics because it's um not your typical characters um there are, uh, in, in like the 90s, a bunch of artists from Marvel and DC just kind of like broke off and went off and made their own shit. Um, one of these was Wildstorm Comics, which, um, unless I am mistaken, oh, actually, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to Google it real quick just to make sure I got my shit right. Um, again, talking off, spitting off the dome for a lot of this. Um, oh, I'm really glad that I said that because I almost got that one off. Um... 
What am I thinking of? It's not relevant. Um, a bunch of comic book artists broke off from Marvel and DC and decided to make their own shit. Uh, eventually, this became Image Comics, which you can all thank for things like The Walking Dead and Saga and a bunch of other really famous in Image comic titles. Um, but specifically, uh, one of the creators, Jim Lee, went off and created Wildstorm, which was eventually bought in by DC Comics and, and the characters were enveloped into the DC Comics universe. But before that happened, there was a character um, named Midnighter. Midnighter is, to give you a quick synopsis, he's basically like Batman, but a whole of a hell of a lot more lethal. Um, and I don't know the timeline on it, whether it was before he was they, he was bought by DC Comics or after it. Um, specifically, he was, uh, but he is gay, and is has a husband who is also a superhero named Apollo. Midnighter and Apollo was a comic book series. I mean, they've been around for a long time, but what's of particular note is that there was a uh, miniseries called Midnighter and Apollo, and the point of this was to depict a gay relationship that was a real relationship. Uh, the writer, Orlando, specifically told, said in an interview, that he said I would see he said quote I would say I feel pressure to showcase a realistic relationship and that means neither an unattainable idealized version or an overly dysfunctional one real relationships are work and I want to treat Midnighter and Apollo with the same respect passion and intricacy we all deal with in our own relationships on a daily basis this is a incredibly important stance from a writer especially at dc comics which gets dc comics like burns through real um i say dc comics burns through relationships between superheroes at the same rate that teenage benji burned through pulp science fiction comp books so it was really a nice change that they would spend the time to develop a real relationship i didn't get to gloss into it earlier, and I, but I want to address it now. One of the pro, one of really the only problem with Batwoman, and it's honestly, it's the reason the creators left, was because they wanted to depict that real relationship, and they were able to do it for a very long time until it. Be, they wanted to have her get married, and the executives at DC Comics wouldn't let her, and it's very easy to jump on it as you know homophobic as saying that the why can't the lesbians get married but specifically uh, arguably a bigger problem is that the dc executives told them that heroes shouldn't have happy personal lives and it makes them boring and it will make the audience lose interest why anyone would suggest that having a happy personal life makes someone disinteresting when you have characters like fighting crime blows my mind. But it's of particular note that the writer of Midnighter and Apollo was able to get away with his miniseries about this. Granted, it was a miniseries about some BC-list superheroes that... Very few people were reading about, and many, and no one was going to read about once the series was over. So it's, it wasn't an ongoing thing, which probably is why it escaped the censorship of DC executives. But it was, it's nice to know that there's at least one of those comics out there from DC Comics. The of particular, the the reason it's good to end on that note in DC is because we're going to jump over to Marvel Comics. Um, which I can also rant and rave about for a long ass time, but frankly, I'm not going to have the time to because I can tell, I can hear, like, see the ghost of Sapphire next to me, like, looking at her watch, going, like, don't, don't run, don't breathe too long on this one. So I'm going to try to sum these up a little faster and maybe cut out some of the lesser known characters. The interesting thing about. Uh, that belief that heroes shouldn't have personal happy personal lives is because Marvel comics 
um, has excelled from giving characters personal lives. And you'll notice something interesting in the contrast between Marvel and DC is I was naming DC characters who are LGBT. I'm going to be naming more Marvel couples that are because Marvel focuses on its characters' relationships. And that's kind of what gives them their strength rather than just saying, oh, a character's LGBT and then brushing it off and not coming back to it. The characters in Marvel that are LGBT, it's because it's a part of their identity rather than just, you know, a throwaway line or, or, a, or a short-lived miniseries. Don't get me wrong, DC's getting better. Batwoman is a night is a Batwoman shows that you can actually have that ongoing, but that idea of that idea of not giving characters a happy personal life because it makes them boring does a disservice to the authenticity of a character. Uh, some several of the more recent Marvel Comics characters are the stronger ones. Um, the one I'm going to focus on first is uh, a couple from a couple called or from a team, sorry, called the Young Avengers. The Young Avengers are a team of teenage superheroes. Um, the concept's not super original. It's you know teenage versions of the Avengers. Um, you've got um, the you've got Hawkeye, who is a teenage girl who's got you know the same level of, of authentic or of um like the same olympic level of archery as clint barton from the avengers you've got patriot who is you know a young teenage captain america effectively um and a handful of others but the ones that are particular of note in this discussion are the characters wiccan who is a uh, spiritual reincarnated child of the Scarlet Witches. It's complicated. I'm not going to get into that. That's not what this episode's about, but yeah, comics are weird. Um, and Hulkling, who is, uh, again, if any of you saw uh, the comic book, or sorry, re saw the movie for Captain Marvel, you know who the Skrulls are, and unless I'm mistaken, in which case someone can call me out in the comments, uh, Hulkling is a teenage Skrull. Um, so this idea is that uh, Hulkling, uh, his general thing is to shapeshift into, you know, kind of like, he, he takes on, he's like the Hulk. Um, and Wiccan is obviously like a teenage boy version of the Scarlet Witch. Uh, they were created from the origin of this series to have romantic feelings for each other. They are, you know, two teenage boys who are discovering and accepting their sexuality. They're very clearly gay. Um, as far as I know from what I've read, I'm, I'm, I say that because I don't want to throw out the possibility that they're bisexual, but I haven't seen it because since they were created, they've been in a relationship together. Um, or at least have had feelings for each other that developed it later on into a relationship. And that's been the standard since they were created. It's always been known, and it's been kind of unabashedly published that way. No one's coming down on them and saying, like, you know, we, you had your fun, the series is over, let's split them up and move on. They were invented some 15 years, 20 years ago, um, I believe, and they've stayed there. It's, and this is what I was saying about like Marvel Comics focusing on its characters' relationships and building stories from relationships. We've all seen like we've all seen the fucking Marvel movies. We're not watching them because the plots are super strong. Sometimes they are, oftentimes they're not. We watch them for the relationships between the characters, and that the strength of those relationships in the movies comes from the strength of those relationships in the comics. So. Seriously, anything Young Avengers is going to have Hulkling and Wiccan in it, check it out. They're great. Um, and also, all the other fucking Young Avengers are also great. It's awesome. You should read them. They're fucking hilarious. Um, focusing more on the relationships in Marvel, and uh, there's... These... They're not the main characters. I will point out that. Like you're, I mean, these are main characters of their stories, but they're not Wonder Woman. They're not Constantine. They're not Harley Quinn. They don't. They aren't the ones holding those titles. But at the same time, like, remember that those characters aren't. Their sexualities don't get to be a main part of their identity. 
it just gets kind of like thrown out there in an issue here or an arc there. Even the John Constantine one that was really good was still only for an arc, and then it got dropped uh, later on in the series. But in but the characters who are LGBT in Marvel Comics get to stay that way. It doesn't just get thrown about on a whim. The in, the one that makes this point most clearly is North Star. I am not going to pretend like anyone listening to this knows who North Star is. If you do, that's great. You kind of have to be a comic book nerd to know who North Star is. Because he hasn't made his way into any movies or TV shows yet, really. But North Star was one of the first ever openly gay comic book characters. Ever. Like... I mean, maybe not the first ever, because, you know, it's hard to go through the entire history of publication of comic books. Don't get me wrong. But of something that was held a high enough title that, like, you know, it's still around today is North Star. Uh, He is a member of Alpha Flight. That is the effectively, like, the Canadian team that is kind of like the Avengers crossed with the X-Men. They're mostly mutants, but they're government funded. It's tricky. It's comic books. But North Star has been around since those were being published in, you know, the 60s, 70s. He was he was one of the first characters in comics to ever come out as gay. He was certainly the first ever in Marvel comics. And the most kind of prevalent one, and what really gives Marvel the edge up over DC Comics in this game, or in this competition, is North Star got married to his husband, Kyle, who, as far as I know, is not a superhero. He's just a guy. Um, They had a a wedding, a full-fledged same-sex wedding that was very well publicized. Um, If if anyone wants to read it, it was Astonishing X-Men number 51. It was published in June 2012, and it was a big deal. They treated this wedding as big a deal as they treat their world-ending apocalypses. It had, like, the same type of, like, publicity for readers to come check it out. Um, And if I had to, like, throw out something that had as much attention but wasn't an apocalypse, the only other one I can think of is The Wedding of Deadpool, which was five years ago? Six years ago? It It was a little after... It was it was a few years after this. I mean, I was working at a comic book store, and there were still we still had people like putting up the uh, the wedding of North Star and, uh, and Kyle. Uh, I forget North Star's real name, so I keep calling him North Star. But I think it's uh, Jean Paul something. He's Canadian. Um, but it was a big deal. It was a huge deal, and it's it actually remains that again. It's the first ever same sex wedding in comic books. So worth. Definitely worth noting, worth paying attention to, and worth remembering his name. When Marvel Comics finally gets, or sorry, uh, finally gets around to making a movie featuring North Star, it's such a pivotal part of his identity. Like you'll be able to go to the movies and see a LGBT character on the big screen in a superhero film, like an LGBT superhero. It'll be there. Like you can't leave that out of his identity so like keep an eye out because it's gonna be really exciting i mentioned deadpool earlier and i will just cover this very quickly because uh not that it's not important but it's just he's such a crazy character it's hard to like keep track of everything deadpool uh a lot of pe- a lot of like you know you, you see a lot of like weird shit like teasing that deadpool is like this like pivot like this like symbol of masculinity and like heteronormative heterocentric violence and whatnot but anyone who actually anyone who actually reads deadpool will understand and ryan reynolds bless him understands that deadpool is a chaotic bisexual lunatic who uh has no qualms with anyone's sexuality will fuck not anyone, but, you know, regardless of sexuality, he's dated men, he's dated women, God knows there's so much fan art and slash fiction out there about Deadpool and Spider-Man, and half of it is written by Deadpool himself, I'm not shitting you. Um, 
you want to like you want to really like delve into some insane kinky and lgbt and whatever bullshit read some read some deadpool stuff um even deadpool's wedding is absolutely batshit crazy because no one told us who the bride was it's not it is a straight wedding um but that doesn't that as we talked in the last week's episode on by invisibility just because he married a woman doesn't mean he's not bisexual and honestly he's they're both insane enough that like you should check it out it's it's a trip it doesn't hold the same gravity and importance as North Star's wedding, but it's man, is it fun to read? Um, I'm gonna move on to a couple others that uh, get referenced sometimes. Uh, not main characters, but uh, if anyone has uh, no, has seen the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you can thank. Um, oh, I forgot his name. Hold on. I want to say Rick Remender, but I am 99% sure that's not what I'm thinking of, and his name is Dan something, and I'm not going to sit here and let you guys run off and Google the wrong comic books. Dan Abnett, isn't it? Yep, Dan Abnett. It occurred to me like in the middle of typing Dan into my computer. Boom. If you guys like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies, you can thank Dan Abnett for them. Dan Abnett uh, is the one who kind of like gave the Guardians of the Galaxy their revival. He also gave them really cool uniforms that we didn't actually get in the movies, but that's okay. The movies kind of like go off on their own thing anyway. But specifically, uh, the roster of the Guardians of the Galaxy expanded under Dan Abnett's run to like, I think there were like 25 people on the team. Um, but worth uh, the ones who call attention for this episode was uh, Phi Lavelle who at very any point was known as Photon, as Quasar, and at one point as Captain Marvel. A lot of people have worn the Captain Marvel title. Not all of them have been as cool as Carol Danvers. So if you like, you know, um, well, if you like Brie Larson's portrayal of her, that's the one you're getting in the comics right now. You can happily go to the comics and check them out. But other ones have had that title. So like a woman named Phyla Vell and her girlfriend Moondragon, they were a very important relationship uh, in the Dan Abnett run. They were not the main characters, but their relationship was never treated as a throwaway. So good to keep an eye on. Um, uh, for those of you who know Mystique, uh, of Rebecca Romaine and Jennifer Lawrence fame, uh, shape-shifting, blue mutant, even if you don't know, even if you haven't seen the movies, like the, the omnipresent image of Rebecca Romaine in blue scaly makeup is embedded in everyone's memory from the last three decades. She's another one of the instances. Hers is a little trickier because she has the ability to become a man, uh, genetic, like biologically a man. And um, she had children and then like adopted children and then perhaps impregnated women as a man. Super complicated when you can completely change your biology down to a cellular level. But uh, that doesn't change the fact that she lived with uh, another woman for a long period of time and raised children as them. Like, if you ever like look up uh, the history of Rogue in the comic books, Mystique is Rogue's mother. I mean, Mystique is also several people's mother. That's another route to go down. But she was raising a rogue with destiny at one point. They were her surrogate mothers. So, well, technically, Misty was her real mother, but didn't know, but Rogue didn't know that because she thought she was her surrogate mother because she'd been giving up for adoption. Y'all, comic books sometimes are like soap operas, and you just gotta invest a lot of time to follow all the threads. Doesn't make them any less entertaining. Um, the. I have to end the Marvel Comics one with this, and it's another one of those, it's complicated, Loki. Loki, y'all. Um, I'm going to be the first to say that without Tom Hiddleston playing Loki, he is not nearly as interesting. That being said, he is historical. Like, that has been Thor's villain since the beginning of comic books. So, I'm not going to pretend like he's not important. But one of the interesting things is when you have a trickster god who can do anything gods can, 
he can do a lot of other things, uh, like become a woman. Yes, that's a thing that has happened several times. Um, I don't know if it's current, but I can tell you it was at least in the last five years he became a woman again. So, um, Tricky has, to my knowledge, uh, been with women as a woman, been with men as a woman. I don't know for a fact that he's been with men as a man, but, you know, probably. And even, honestly, like, you go back into, uh, Norse mythology, and there's some absolutely wonderful fan art of Norse myths, but drawn with the Tom Hiddleston Loki in the place of mythological Loki, and it just becomes all the more fun to watch them from to like read through them from that perspective. Loki has always been a tricky character in terms of sexual sexuality, sexual identity, gender identity. So, uh, if you really want to go on like a wild romp of gender and sexuality, seriously, just like track through the Loki timeline at some point, and it's a r- absolute roller coaster. I am going to wrap this up, um, and I did focus mainly on Marvel and DC because I wanted to focus on characters that are more well-known. This isn't a comic book podcast. If Otherwise, I'd get into super niche things. This is a sexuality podcast, so this is more about giving you guys a, an insight into the world of comics um, and how LGBT themes are presented in those comics. But I, uh, and many people my age, grew up kind of uh, just overly immersed in comic books, especially during the 90s when like the big the like the comic book boom was going on. And because they were getting popularity in that time period, it, I would be remiss not to address uh, the I would not I would be sad not to at least address the world of Top Cow, specifically uh, Witchblade comics. If you are looking for a beautifully written, uh, unbel- like just gorgeous art, uh, dark themes, uh, just overall, just like just an overall quality work, y'all are not gonna get it from Witchblade. I'm sorry. It is delightfully uh, cheap camp fodder for a 15 year old teenage audience's mind. 15-year-old male teenage audience's mind, usually. Not always. Um, that being said, uh, there is a there is an aspect of the characters in it and the, and the concepts that have such potential that you keep reading because sometimes an author will grab hold of it and really run with it and, like, pull something off that's just, like, just wows you. The main character of Witchblade uh, is uh, a pretty traditional kind of like female super character from an indie comic, but that title, like many superhero titles, gets passed around. And for a while, it was in the the Witchblade was in the hands of a woman named Danielle Baptiste. Danielle Baptiste. Um, spent a little bit of time as the Witchblade and then became a superhero in her own right called the Angelus. And this, granted, was more recently than the 90s, and so the, the Top Cow comics have started, you know, to lower the blatant unrealistic sexuality of literally every woman in them and started to approach uh, characters with a more realistic relationship, and Danielle Baptiste is a char- one of those characters who met a girl named Finch in the sh- in the comics, developed a relationship with her, and moved in with her. And they are, and again, that is that is one instance where you have an, or another instance of characters who have built this relationship that is not heteronormative, not heterosexual, and it hasn't been used as a flashy thing just for attention, which, frankly, in indie comics like Spawn and the Darkness and Witchblade, it's really refreshing to see that, and they 
don't get sensationalized. They are treated as a couple, as a normal relationship, and it just so happens to be a lesbian one that is worth actually it's worth sitting through so much absolute batshit nonsense in that comic and i just because top cow holds a special little place in my heart in my comic book nerdy heart i felt the need to uh point that out just at the end i know and i'm certain let me if i look at the timestamp that i've run long not as long as i could have I'll have to remind Sapphire of that when she comes down on me for <laughs> having to edit this episode down. Um, I love you all, and I hope you have enjoyed this. If you have any questions or want to know more about these comic book characters, um, there are many great resources, but you can always reach out to us. We are at f.u.n.i.v.e.r.s.i.t.y. That's at uh, that's on Instagram. I'll repeat it. Uh, that's f.u.niversity, basically. Um, and we link these all in the bottom if like, if the way they're spelled out is too complicated. Uh, we know that sometimes things get fuzzy. When you take this long to get an Instagram account, sometimes uh, the more simple ones are already taken. Um, we are on Twitter at UniversityFuck, and you can, of course, always email us at f.university.mailroom at gmail.com. Thank you all for listening to my uh, delighted monologue. I love talking about comics, and it was exciting to get to talk to you all about it. Sapphire will be back with me uh, next week, where we will be interviewing several people. Um, Sapphire holds that schedule. We are interviewing a bunch of people coming up, and I'm not sure which episode is coming out first, but she'll know, and we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.